This is my journey, inspired one story at a time. A library of leaders was created. It began as a journey to learn. As time went on, it began to grow. All it needed was a platform, and this podcast was created to listen, to inspire, to share. I am a storyteller, and this is my journey. Welcome to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. I'm your host, Steve Anderson, and today's guest is Mike McDermott. He is the executive chair and co-founder of FreshBooks. He's an entrepreneur who took on an idea to where now there are over 24 million companies who use his product. He talks about the importance of culture and how he feels culture is strategy. He is based out of Toronto, Canada, and has offices in six countries. He has some great insight and customer service and building cultures that are meant to last. So let's jump right into the interview with him now. Mike, welcome to the program. It's great to have you today. Thanks for having me. Now, you're the executive chair and co-founder of of FreshBooks. So tell us about um, FreshBooks, why you started it, uh, how you grew it to over 500 employees and 24 million users. Uh, give us a little background on the story. Okay. So FreshBooks began when I scratched my own itch. I was running a small design firm, and it was I was helping clients with building websites, doing their internet marketing, and and uh, their identity work, those those kinds of things. And this was, I guess, nineteen like two thousand ish. Anyhow, I, I accidentally saved over an invoice and said, uh, there's got to be a better way. I was using Microsoft Word and Excel to bill my clients. Those, well, commonly commonly used by business owners to, to you know, create the receivables, track their expenses, all that stuff. They're, they're not actually built for that purpose. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I, w- I was one of those owners. And, and uh, when I saved that, that invoice, I just kind of snapped and said, uh, there really has to be a better way because I, I never knew who owed me money or how much they did. Whenever I got worried enough about it, I would like go peeling through my, you know, my, my email inbox and see who did I send this somebody an invoice to and all this kind of stuff. And so I, I just knew there had to be a better way. And so I built it. I built a simple thing that my clients could log on and see their invoice. And um, uh, then I, you know, after a little while, like, kind of measured in, in sort of weeks, realized, hey, other people would like this and set about with my co-founder. It was a side project for about a year, trying to turn it into something that we could launch. We got to market. It was uh, saved over that invoice in 2003, launched in 2004, and um, uh, and that was uh, that was how we got started. Yeah, that's great. Now, I'm intrigued how, when does an entrepreneur decide that, you know, you said you started out as a side gig and, and now you're going to go all in. Um, how do you decide that, and what's that? Uh, what's that like? Uh, pretty scary, I would would assume. But uh, do you have a lot of confidence going in, or how do you make that decision? Well, I think yeah, I think everybody has different decision calculus. I, you know, for me, it was really around passion. So I, I just love this whole building a product company thing. So I had what I did have was a design firm, and I was building that up, and I was hiring people, and I was kind of responsible for basically the income and uh, of, uh, of a whole bunch of, well, like four, four or five people, I guess, not a whole bunch. <laughs> um, 
Um, but this problem of building a product was really intriguing to me. And so pretty soon I went to spending like 80 plus percent of my time on this, this product company, which turned into FreshBooks versus my agency. And so we had, you know, I had this backstop of, hey, I had these people who were doing client work and that was paying for them and for me. And, uh, and my focus was going more and more to the product company. And so I ran the two in parallel for a little while. And then eventually we just started firing off our clients so everybody could focus on the, uh, the product company. And so you, you started out as just a real, uh, real grassroots organization. So I think uh, you even started uh, like in the basement of your parents' house or something like that. So you started uh, pretty meager to begin with. Oh, that's, yeah, the humble beginnings, I like to call them. We spent three and a half years in my parents' basement, that's right. <laughs> okay. So I, I also read that, uh, you know, you talk a lot about culture, and, and, uh, and you even state that, that culture uh, is strategy. So what do you mean by that, and, and what do you try and do in, in your business to create that? Yeah. So yes, FreshBooks, our, our mission is to execute extraordinary experiences to help uh, owners grow. And, and what that means is, we just want to, whether it's you calling us to get customer service or using our product, we think about everything we do and, and your experience of it as an experience. And we want to design and craft those experiences and, and replicate and perpetuate them a little bit like the hospitality industry. In fact, some of my favorite, you know, business leaders are, are from the hospitality industry where it's like, you know, any business owner who has a problem comes to us, they're kind of like our guests and we have to, you know, we want to take care of them, make sure they have a good experience and they, they get what they want out of coming to us and they leave and they want to refer us to other people. And it's kind of common sense when you think about it, but um, that is, that is, that is our orientation. And so, you know, it has that link to culture. Well, um, you know, my definition of culture is culture is what happens when nobody's looking. And at the end of the day, as you scale a business, you can't be looking over everybody's shoulder trying to get them to do it you know, your way or what have you. They need, to, they need to kind of do it naturally and without thinking. And so in my experience, uh, the only way to, to get those behaviors that you want to manifest in a consistent and repeatable basis, uh, for us it would be like our customer has a problem. Well, we, we try and figure out how to help and worry about the cost kind of later. It's kind of the orientation I want as opposed to, oh, let me check the script and see what I'm allowed to do before I focus on helping. So that's the kind of nuance and, and the kind of thing you get out of the culture. And so um, if you want to, and I just, I want to make sure that our customers are well served. And so you got to bake that into the culture. And so that is, um, you know, one of the less eloquent tellings of that uh, over the years for me, but <laughs> I think you get a sense of uh, what it is and why it matters based on all that. Sure. Now you have over 500 employees, I believe at this time. So tell us a little about, you know, where are you based and, and um, are you all working out of the same office or you have multiple locations? What's it look like? So I'd say we're based on the internet these days. Um, this is COVID, you know, uh, we're, headquartered in Toronto, Canada. Toronto has been locked down, you know, multiple times throughout all this. So our, our headquarters, I haven't been to our physical premises in over a year now. So, um, which is, which is interesting. And, um, and we have offices in five countries around the world. And, you know, a lot of our new offices came online either just before or during, during COVID. And so the point is we're all working remotely together at this stage. 
uh, which has uh, you know been a learning learning experience to figure out how to coordinate all that, but it's gone uh, I, I think really well. And how do you think it's going to go on in the future? Are you going to go back to the offices? Do you think, or are you going to work more from home? What What have you learned over the last year that you think you'll continue? Uh, I am. I'll expose my bias, which is uh, I think people will want to go back to the office, but not everybody. And so I think simplistically, probably the best way to plan for it is a third, a third, a third. A third of people who want to go back every day, a third of people who want to go back two or three days a week, and a third of people who want to be remote. So that's kind of my guess for how it shakes out. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, everybody says that they want diversity in their culture, but very few achieve it. So what does diversity in in your business culture look like and feel like? I think there are there are many dimensions of diversity. Um, obviously, there's there's racial diversity and something you can you can see. Uh, there's you know gender diversity, which is another kind of diversity you can usually see, but not always. And then um, and then you have there's just cognitive diversity. People who think differently, behave differently. Um, and, and I you know the the point is I, I think you want all like you want a lot of diversity. Uh, in, inside your business. So you, you have people with different lived experiences, different points of view, working together anytime you're trying to solve a hard problem. So, so that's a bit about how I, I think about it. And when you hire people, do you go out and, I mean, do you consciously say, okay, we need uh, diversity in this area, so we're going to look for a person with these particular skills or, or experiences or background, and so do you hire for it? We actively hire for it. Different backgrounds. I think we're very open to people with with different backgrounds. Uh, even I go so far as to say, almost more attracted to it than some of the the standard pathing. Yeah. So I think it starts there with with who you bring into the building, and then it's you know ideally you can help people create um, you know different ex- like build teams that that have different experiences. One of my favorite ways to do that personally is actually to bring you know somebody who's grown up in one part of the business and put them into another part of the business that they really, you know, aren't trained for from school or having worked elsewhere. And that may not sound like diversity. They might sound like homogeny, but it's actually interesting. The effect that that, that person, many cases, a lot of, uh, you know, out of customer service or something like that bring brings in because they're just so wired to think about, well, this is what I hear when I'm on the phone with the customers and and all that kind of thing. So I, I think you can, I guess the point is, you know, moving people between teams, even within an organization, is another way to promote, um, you know, different thinking. You know, over this last year, you brought up COVID, and it's interesting because I, I think there's a lot of, um, I guess I've said before, the haves and the have-nots. Some businesses have done really well during COVID, and some businesses have really struggled. What has your business done in the last year, and and um, how did how did you how did you get through it? So our business um, behaved very much the same way it did in in 2008, which was in the first weeks of the pandemic, there was basically a big sell-off. What I mean by that, and and when I say big, I actually don't mean big. It wasn't like it was double digit or anything like that, But, but we had, you know, higher rates of churn than we normally would. And so I should point out, hey, you know, we're really easy to use accounting software that you can access on your desktop or mobile devices. And, and um, we're built for owners, so we're easy to use. And our, our business model is is really primarily a subscription business model. So I pay a monthly fee to have us offer accounting software that's constantly being updated and you can access from anywhere. 
And, and so when you have a subscription business, um, we have one where most, you know, in any given month, we start the month off where we know almost all the revenue we're going to have at the end of the month. Um, but, uh, but when COVID hit, people sort of panicked and small business owners, a lot of whom were, you know, very concerned about what their future prospects would be, grave uncertainty. They went and in some cases they went and canceled um, their, their subscription. And in some cases, those folks went out of business. Um, and, and other people were just being cautious and, and sort of came back later. Uh, and others realized, hey, it's probably best that I have you know, good visibility into my financials with uncertain times such as these. So it was, a, it was a balance, but we had a few weeks where people were you know, canceling at rates that we would not normally expect. Let's put it that way. And so, so we were like, okay, how do you plan for this? And, um, and so that's, you know, we, we kind of made it through those first sort of six or eight weeks. And then we've basically just been on an upward uh, path since then. So after that initial uncertainty, lots of people are starting businesses, those that are still in it, some of them are doing better, some of them are doing worse. But I, I would almost say it went back to, in, in our business, it, after that initial fear, it almost went back to kind of business as usual after that. And we've been growing. We kind of returned to, uh, um, or I think we were growing throughout, but, you know, returned to a, a really solid growth path. And, um, you know, we were very fortunate as a result of that. And I've also heard, too, uh, through the grapevine or on the news, I guess, and Canada is kind of uh, kind of lagging behind a little bit on, on vaccines and so on. Has that uh, been your experience of you? Um, has it been hard to get your employees uh, the uh, the vaccines they need to continue. Well, I think I think your yeah our our distribution our access to first of all and the distribution of vaccines has certainly lagged the U.S. and Israel and the U.K. Uh, I think um, we may not be doing too badly once you get after you know past those groups. And I think we're at something like forty percent of Canadians at this point who um, maybe it's total and like fifty percent of eligible have been vaccinated, but. In most cases, it's the first vaccine and like all but like 3%. So, and this is what's the date today. It's kind of mid, mid-May mid 20, uh, 2021. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the state is considerably ahead of that. So we are, uh, but what we're getting there, and it's kind of coming on fast. And I'm expecting by the summer, we're going to be uh, very well vaccinated um, here. So, so we're probably lagging a quarter, I would say. Okay. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it's good to hear. Now, who who would you say that your uh, major competitor is? Is QuickBooks your competitor? Is that who you compete against, or is your product uh, different than that? Yeah, I think if you choose an accounting software, then that would probably be our largest competitor. Um, having said that, you know what we see is there are more people who are still using Word and Excel, Google Docs, pen and paper and or um, some hodgepodge of systems that weren't really meant to do all this stuff, maybe like an old access database or something like this they're still running on. Um, they've kind of rolled their own solution one way or another. And that's honestly the majority of it. And how do you uh, reward and um, recognize those uh, in your company who kind of live that culture that you were talking about and that you want to continue to evolve and create more? Well, that is that is almost the most important question. So, um, yeah, the trick to sustaining and perpetuating a culture that you really want to have is um, is to do just just that. Is to to recognize when people are kind of you, you want to catch people when they're they're doing something right. That that's the trick of it. Um, and and really not tolerate 
at all things when it's on the other side, you know, when it's, when it's really, really bad, no, you know, kind of basically zero tolerance, uh, you know, send a clear signal there. But the most important thing you can do is recognize people when they do something right, when they, what we would call live your values. So we're, our culture is, um, is kind of the output we're looking for. How do people behave? We have a set of values that are, are, you know, what you might say are your expected behaviors um, and uh, how we, we treat each other. And, you know, we can kind of um, point to and say, hey, listen, you know, when you did this, you know, it was great because X, Y, and Z. And, you know, that's a great example of living our, our value of why, if that makes sense. Sure. Uh, and so um, so that's that's kind of how it all sort of works as a system. And then so – so we have we have our values, and you know I might say to you, hey, thank you for bringing this to my attention, Stephen. It, you know, it was I, I can understand why you might have been afraid to tell me because it's bad news. But you know, when I hear bad news quickly, it's really helpful. I can make good decisions. So thank you for living our value of honesty, which is we're straightforward and we communicate directly. Because now I'm going to be able to move faster. We're going to get sorted faster. It's all so much better because you live that value. And so we have a, a little program we call the uh, basically values cards, and anyone at the company can offer a values card to anyone else. And um, it's you know it's like it's almost irrelevant what it is. Like we do like twenty five dollar gift certificates, but the more important point is that anyone can do it. Anyone can give a card to anyone in the company at any time, and um, and we do that to promote and encourage. Um, people that catch other people doing the right thing and and uh, and living the way you know that with the values and and that that has a way of encouraging other people to go ahead and do it right. You want to give people the positive feedback when they do the right thing, uh, more so than you want to uh, give the negative feedback when they don't. Yeah, that's really interesting. So tell us how that kind of started and and how it's evolved. In other words, uh, you know, was it slow to get going, and were people not sure about it? Uh, did it uh, evolve into something that's you know like a a daily, weekly, monthly occurrence between your employees? To tell us a little bit about how it's grown over the years. Yeah. So I mean, the program's been there, and um, it's interesting. This is something I honestly I'll put this in the bucket of something that. Um, in COVID and working remotely, I'll go ahead and say, I know our numbers and participation are down on. So let me just go ahead and disclose that. I'm not sure we've done all the work to figure out, hey, how does this work in a virtual world? Um, the, the good news is we have a, a baseline of a lot of really solid fresh bookers. And the fact that they're not grabbing a gift certificate right now and hanging it to somebody, it's just not that, not as important as that they are actually living our values. But but uh, with, with that as a bit of a precursor, so I'd say, hey, the number of actual value cards down right now, but we've seen it grow over the years and almost to like, you know, more than like a person, you know, like on a quarterly basis, you'd have hundreds of these going out. So it'd be like a 300 person company and you'd have like 200 value cards issued in that quarter, which is almost one per person per quarter, uh, which I think of is pretty good. And then you've got to imagine there's all these other times where people are doing it. Um, and they're just not bothering with the card. They're just saying, hey, thanks a lot. That's you know, a great example of whatever, which, you know, so you multiply whatever the values card thing is by like five or something. Um, so, so you know that a lot of people are getting a lot of positive feedback about their behavior. And, uh, and we bake it into things like our all-hands company, all-hands meeting starts off with, um, with recognizing some people and like it'll be like some random fresh booker uh, standing up and you know, telling the story of some other fresh booker and how they lived a particular value and, and just wanted to recognize them. So we try to bake it into our operating procedures, if that makes sense. We make it a part of 
onboarding when you join the company, just to let you know it's there. And and that is um, all of that is kind of how you kind of keep the the flywheel spinning, so to say. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, th- I agree with you. I think that to recognize people for do, uh, living those those values and doing things is a is a great way to to show people what you're looking for and kind of uh, keep that you know, that, that uh, culture evolving in, in a positive direction. The customer service is, you know, it's kind of obviously a, a big business buzzword, but what do you do at FreshBooks to kind of set yourself apart uh, from others with your approach to customer service? Uh, I think the number one thing we do at FreshBooks is um, everybody in the company, everybody spends their first month in customer service. And so, you know, our CFO, when he joined like five years ago and had been a public company CFO for 10 years, he spent a month in customer service. And um, our, our chief marketing officer, when he joined first month in customer service, our chief data officer, actually, we have a rule where if your customers are internal, you actually, you, you come out of it a little sooner and you spend a week with your internal customers. And so... Uh, our chief data officer, she she spent, um, I think, three weeks and then started working on uh, getting to know her customers inside the business to, to help serve them. So it, it, the point is um, that first month, we do a lot of training, teach you about the company, our history, metrics, our values, all those kinds of things. It's a whole program. And you learn our product. And then you actually start answering calls and doing emails for a few weeks. You get to know our customer. And we think, you know, with all of that, it just sets a foundation for people to make good decisions going forward because I understand the product, I understand the customer. And, you know, what, what you know, I don't say as much but is very, very true is through all of that, you, you learn how we serve the customer. You learn their problems and you, you get this. But there's, there's a real purpose for our being out in the world. People are calling up and, and they need help. And we're there for them in a whole bunch of different ways. And, uh, and they love our product, by and large. Sometimes they've got some challenges we help them with. But, but um, the, the, the point is that we, we make a difference for people and that, you know, as a part of FreshBooks, you can help others. And I, I think that then really makes a lot of the work around the company a lot simpler because people just have that really clear sense of purpose and impact that they have. Yeah, it's really interesting because I, I do th- – uh, I always – think how is it different in the sense that you know uh, your customers probably aren't coming to your site and they they probably aren't interacting you know face to face with you as much and and then when you're dealing with a product it's almost like well uh, you know if it's working then you don't hear from them so how do you uh, kind of get to know your customers at that intimate level that you want to to really uh, pr- provide the service they're looking for well I think I mean there's a whole bunch of I mean that so one thing is everyone spends their first month there, and we obviously do sort of more traditional research where our product groups will, like, reach out and talk with people. And our product team may think they know what they're going to build. They won't tell the customers. They'll be like, oh, tell me about the kinds of problems you're encountering in this area. And they hear more about the problems from the customer. And so do that, what we call generative research. We also do other things like, um, you know, for years, and again, this is something, again, that's we're not doing in a COVID time, is post-customer dinners when we fly around uh, – like I'll go to a, a city to speak at a conference and I'll take a whole bunch of our customers out to dinner. Um, and that's just a thing where we just send a note to the customers in that city and say, Hey, would you like to come out? We're, we're kind of gathering as a group and we basically pick up uh, the food and, and uh, beverage tab and, and there's no presentation or anything like that. We just 
maybe a kickoff word to welcome people. And, and what happens invariably is those is, you know, you start to hear these stories and you see people meeting each other and this, um, you know, you, you start to hear from people in a different way. Like I, I always tell people, um, you, you basically the medium with which you receive feedback from your customers changes the nature of the feedback you get. And so when somebody emails you, they're going to be like, it's a real break-fix scenario normally. When they phone in, they're trying to kind of co-solve a problem maybe. Uh, but when you sit in person, like they'll tell you their vision for your product. And those are all very different, you know, perspectives. Same customers, are just behaving differently in different different forums. And so, or different mediums, I should say. And so, I think it's really important to understand that because, um, you know, each each medium has its own uh, strengths and weaknesses. And you know, depending on what you're trying to achieve in terms of knowing your customer, uh, you you may want to explore multiple mediums to make sure that you are getting a, a well-rounded understanding of things. And do you look forward to getting back on that plane and going to the different cities and meeting with customers again? I, I think the, uh, you know, absence of plane I do, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. we, uh, I, you know, I yeah. don't, I don't love, uh, you know, the planes are less glamorous in my opinion than, uh, than people make them out to be. But, um, uh, but I certainly look forward to sitting down with, uh, with customers and in a variety of places. What advice would you give entrepreneurs who have a, an idea like you had and, and want to make it into, uh, you know, a growing successful company like you have at FreshBooks? Let's focus on the positive versus the negative. So I'd say, hey, um, follow your energy, I guess would be a good thing. It, it's a very um, – it takes a lot of persistence to start and build and scale a company. And, um, it, but if you're somebody who – gets energy from being responsible for things. If you're someone who gets energy from when things go wrong, the opportunity to kind of uh, fix it and, and uh, get on to the next thing. If you're, if you're that kind of person, um, then, then it, this can be a really gratifying, uh, I guess, way of life or, you know, sort of direction for yourself. I think, I think where it goes wrong is when people think about all the things they'll like get by virtue of taking this path. I don't think that's the way to do it. I think you have to sort of love the journey, not the destination. And do you think people like yourself and other entrepreneurs that are successful, do they just have a higher tolerance for risk and, and just kind of be willing to, to bet it all, so to speak, more than others? I've always said, like, I think, you know, people would perceive me as a risk taker. I think of myself as a risk manager. <laughs> okay. um, you know, I, 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 meaning I meant, I guess I manage the risk out of things and then I go to the next step and I take on a little more. Uh, so it, I, I think there, are, I think people perceive entrepreneurship as like, Oh, I could never do that. It's so risky. And it's like, if I tell you my story, well, first of all, I built the thing for myself. So I knew at least one person wanted it. You know, then I, I didn't just drop everything I was doing and dedicate my life to that one thing. I had my, my other business and I, I ran it in the side for a little while until I knew I could, could actually dedicate myself to it. Right. And then we moved into my parents' basement to keep costs down. And then like, there's all these things where, you know, I just believe if I want to get from place A to place B, there is a way for me to do it. I may not have figured it out yet, but there's a way. And so then the little thing starts spinning in my brain is like, okay, how do I get from here to there? And, you know, if that's your mentality and mindset, 
you know, being an entrepreneur is great. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, risk is, you know, risk is, is rarely, you know, I, I look at things and say, Hey, they're too risky for us to do. Let's find another way to solve the problem or go in a different approach or, or wait. Sometimes the thing to do is not now. I like it. Not now too risky. Maybe it's, we have too much going on right now. We can't execute on it, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, I guess the point is, um, I think risk is part of the equation, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's, uh, and I think it's the ability to diagnose and understand that risk is maybe the, the key thing as opposed to being a, a risk taker per se. Uh, you described that really well. I think that's a good way to put it as kind of the management of it because, you know, it's just not an all or, or none, you know, proposition, you know, risk taking. There's, there's different degrees of it and there's different ways to manage it and, and make it, uh, uh, reasonable and tolerable and so on. So I, thank you for describing that. That that was really well done. Thank you. How would you describe your leadership style? If I was to say, okay, you know, you're the, the head of this company and you've got 500 employees. And um, if I were to ask one of your employees, uh, what would they tell me that your style of leadership is? Yeah, I think, you know, there's like the, the big room and the, the behind closed doors. So like, hey, there's presenting to the company and behind closed doors. I, I'm very much the same person, but I, I think I'll answer it from the behind closed doors standpoint, which I would say, hey, challenging and supportive. Um, you know, I, I want to push on things and challenge your thinking and, you know, may have an opinion or two about how you're thinking about it and push you to maybe think about it a little differently. Uh, but also, hey, once you get going, you know, very supportive. And I think that's something or, or like recognizing that like every discipline in the business, like it just has bad days, things go wrong through no fault of a given leader's. And so when that happens, you know, the job is just to be there for people and to recognize, you know, hey, you didn't create this or maybe you did, but it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> uh, and so so let me let me be a persistent source of support um, while you go and figure this out. And I'll help you to the extent you you know will have me um, help you kind of find your way. But mostly it's going to be you going and doing it. I'm going to be a support. Right. So I think in challenging times, very much, you know, just steadfast support and uh and then uh you know when things are wide open pushing and pushing and pushing there's uh, somebody's described it as like just constant you know unrelenting there's a i wish i got to find the word for it but it's basically just like constant pressure right <laughs> but in a good way like it doesn't have to be hard pressure it's just it's always there so it's just a little more a little more a little more all the time so, and I think that's I think that's a good way to be, right? Because people want to be challenged. The best people do. They don't want to be, hey, it's good enough. No, there's always you can always go further. Yeah, that's that's well put. I also read somewhere where you uh, made the statement that uh, you should just embrace imposter syndrome. Uh, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about imposter syndrome and how uh, uh, you know how scary it can be. But uh, you say embrace it. So, what do you mean by that? Well. <clears throat> Let's so hey, what is imposter syndrome for anyone that's just tuning in to maybe your show for the first time or, or what have you? And it, it, to me, maybe this is not the textbook definition, but it's this voice in your head that says, oh, my God, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I think what, what people often don't realize, um, I, I think everyone experiences this. I think what people don't realize is, um, even like the leaders they're looking up to thinking you got it all figured out, 
are thinking that kind of all the time or often, right? Um, it's geez, you know, it's like, hey, if you're really pushing yourself and really challenging yourself, you're just going to find yourself in places where you don't necessarily know how to do it. And so then it's like, okay, um, if that's true for me, it's also true for others. If it's true for others, then why would I kind of let that voice become sort of too loud and uh, and sort of crowd crowd me and my potential out? And so I think that the trick to it is to say, I acknowledge that voice, but not let it define you. Just kind of accept it and say, okay, great. Part of me is concerned. I don't know what I'm doing right now. Yeah, yeah. Got it. I, I just, I'm going to accept that fact and just carry on because there's no other way. And guess what? Like everyone else is kind of running around with this dialogue in their head. They're just not talking about it. <laughs> uh, and so anyway, so I, like for me, it's like, it's, like I, I just like to, when I'm uncertain about the way forward or whatever, I just generally imagine the worst possible thing that can happen and accept that and then realize like, oh, that hasn't happened yet. So we're already in a better place and let's just figure out how to get through it. <laughs> so the way you describe that, then you would, you would probably say that you probably never get over uh, somewhat of imposter syndrome. It would, uh, it's not something you have and you're trying to get rid of. Yeah, I, I think, I think it, it's kind of the path to growth, right? Individual, personal growth, career growth in a lot of cases. And if you fight it and deny it, it's just going to like stop you from developing. If you embrace it and accept that it's there and kind of observe it, you can have the opportunity to kind of, you know, sort of put it in a fixed place and walk around it onto the next space and put it behind you. And so I just think of, you know, personal growth and career growth or even like sports or something like that. Like what you, you're, you're accumulating a collection of skills. And anytime you do something for the first time, it's like, Oh, I don't know how to do this. Oh my gosh. Does everyone know? I don't know how to do this. And then you, you do that thing a couple of times. Maybe it's, you know, you're, you're learning how to play baseball. It's like, I don't know how to hit the ball. You know, if everybody's staring at me, like you don't know how to hit the ball, you know, all of a sudden you start hitting some balls. And all of a sudden, if, you know, if the pitcher stayed the same and you grew up from that pitcher who was pitching balls to you when you were, I don't know, six years old, by the time you're 16, you're, you're hitting a pretty long ball. So, so you start to develop new skills and then you're like, well, this is kind of boring. Uh, maybe I want to find a new pitcher that's a better pitcher to challenge me some more. And, and then you're like, Oh, I don't know how to hit this person's pitch. And that, that becomes an interesting, an interesting game over time. And, and uh, along the way you, you develop, you know, now I can deal with a curveball and a sinker and a fastball and all the, all the pitches that you didn't even know existed when you started, you can start to detect and deal with and cope, um, you know, better and better and better. And so you're growing, you're able to uh, sort of, participate and compete at higher and higher levels. And, um, and that becomes, you know, your journey as an individual of improvement. And that's, and that's kind of, I think what kind of keeps you going, I think over time, you know, and talking about, uh, you know, not knowing what you're doing. Um, how did you lead, uh, over this last year during the pandemic, uh, during the pandemic? I mean, it was one of those times where, uh, there wasn't, uh, anyone to tell you how to do it because no one ever had done it before. So here's a, um, you know, a crisis in front of us. And as leaders, we have to go forward. And, and, and how did you lead? And, and what did what did you learn during that year that uh, you didn't know before? Um, you know, I, I think, you know, try to do a couple of things. Um, first of all, make a plan. I think one of the things that can really kill you is if people, you know, so, hey, acknowledge there's a problem going around and it's affecting us. For example, for us, those first six, eight weeks, hey, people can see this in the results. Um, 
make a plan. So we made kind of a worst case scenario plan and we started operating on that because we didn't know how long things would go on. Like you have no idea what's going to happen to the economy or we're all going to go into depression. Like, what, what, you know, no clue. And so make a plan and then tell people what the plan is, tell people the assumptions of that plan, and then just get people focused on delivering on that plan, right? It's like, hey, let's be clear about where we're going, why we're going there, and, and let's let's get on with it. And and then we've tried to work in a variety of ways to just be supportive of people. And I think this is a really hard thing right now. I don't know about you, but I spend, you know, probably you know, 10, 12 hours a day on Zoom a lot. And it's it's just draining draining in ways that um, it's not, I have three small children and other people are the primary caregiver trying to do work and balance career. And, you know, it's all very scary. And then we have like hundreds of people um, who've joined the company because we've been growing so fast. And maybe it's, you know, it's certainly north of 100. Maybe it's not quite multiple hundreds, but it also might be multiple hundreds. Um, who've never even met a live person from this company before. So, so I think as time goes on, you just like your, your um, tolerance for what's unusual, like that would have seemed maybe, you know, shocking pre-pandemic. Now we have kind of 20 plus percent of our workforce that's never set foot in an office or met a person who works at the company. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, it's your a, expectations kind of reset, right? It's, yeah, it's, it's a you different know, world. It just is what it is. Yeah. It's yeah. a different world. So, um, but yeah, I think trying to remember that people, a big thing is to remember that people are going through many different challenges. We've had a, a member of my executive team who lost a parent and couldn't even be at the funeral. Like, you know, there's all kinds of hardships. That's just one example. I, I had lunch today with uh, six new fresh bookers. One gentleman had been on a ventilator. Wow. For two weeks. Yeah. Uh, I learned that today and he lost eight people, uh, loved ones, two grandmothers and, uh, and, you know, six other loved ones. And I didn't get all the details because it was a, a group thing. But, I, I mean, people have really, really had a variety of challenges that are pandemic-induced. And obviously, there's been all kinds of social justice issues. And then we have a team in Croatia, and there's, like, you know, war going on. They have family, relatives in nearby countries. And, you know, there's just there's stresses and strains that are just – it's just hard to wrap your head around. So I think acknowledging uh, that that, you know, things are like this right now and, and being at home staring at a screen it really wears people down and just just trying to be human and start from there that's been my approach i think people would say maybe empathetic leader but like start there acknowledge it and then build everybody up together if we can yeah those real life experiences really do focus you and, and realize that uh you know uh, different people are as you say are dealing with it at different levels because it's uh you know affected so many people in so many different ways did you lose uh, some people along the way uh, that um, you know had to leave the company or drop out because of personal experiences or, or things that they had in their own lives that they couldn't continue, or or did you keep your team mostly together? Well, I think in terms of we tried to be supportive if people needed to be a, a parent or a caregiver or you know just 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 start with the default like it's okay just tell us we want you to be here don't what i find is people just you know and this is despite our efforts people still think like oh i might get like fired tomorrow because i have to look after my kids or whatever right it's, it's terrible this is not a this is not a good this is not a good environment and that's not a healthy place to be for anybody for any sustained period of time and so so uh, but did we lose people um I think, you know, people are burnt out and tired. And the longer this goes on, I think the more risk there is, frankly, to every organization out there. 
Um, I've seen lots of studies where, you know, like I think something Microsoft, something like 60% of their people are planning to leave within the year. Because um, it's just, you know, people just are at the end of the rope. They want something they control. You know, change is good. Like it's it's a very human nature kind of thing. I'm I'm hopeful that as offices and things open back up, that people say, oh, well, that's a change. Oh, I'm back to it. Maybe I don't need to go to reshuffle, you know, this part of my life necessarily. Um, but I think everyone's going to see a lot of that. Describe a, an aha moment you experienced that enabled your company to kind of reach the success it has so far. Well, I think there's a bunch of ways you could go with that question. Um, and you're looking for something nice and specific here, I guess. Do try to be specific in these scenarios. So, so um, you know, we've had a variety of them. I got to kind of list some, and then we'll maybe pick one to talk about. But, sure. you know, when we, our, the original name of the company was uh, Second Sight, which was awful. Uh, it's a terrible name. You can spell it a whole bunch of different ways. Um, you know, both the words second to ND or second. And anyway, just a terrible name, utterly forgettable, not clear what we did. Uh, and so realizing, you know, that was a bad name was an aha moment. Um, I think a lot of the aha moments I have uh, along the way, and I'm going to try to think of something specific, but were when you just realize um, it takes a bunch of little data points uh, and pieces of feedback from people for things to click and realize like, oh, we have to change the way we're doing this. You know, we thought it was good. We designed it for a good reason, but, you know, for one reason or another, it's just, it's not good to carry on on this path or we need to change and tune it in some way. And so um, we've had, um, you know, things like this over the years. Um, and I'm trying to think of like, they can be small, like our approach to, um, you know, amenities that we make available in the office to, um, uh, you know, how we've communicate with our customers at various times. So uh, we, we, we were encouraging people to, when we, we went and rewrote all our software. We built a new version of it. And um, when it first came out, we were encouraging people to try it out. And then we just realized we shouldn't do this anymore. It's not ready for people who are using the old product. It's, it's too different for them. And we spent a few years and now it's a much better situation. But, you know, that's a hard thing when everyone, the whole team's been building the new thing and they're excited about it. So I, I think, I, I guess, maybe what's the common thread in all of that is that I just think you have to stay open-minded. And, you know, I think in, in business and life, so much of it is like, how do I sort of stick to the fundamentals, the principles, the foundations of who I am or who we are, uh, but, but, you know, stay open-minded with some of the details on top of that, not getting confused about the two and being dogmatic about, you know, some of the tactical decisions you make along the way. Well, I think what I'm hearing you say there is, is you know, people just look at, oh, there's got to be some big event or some big thing that, that helped you become so successful, uh, when in reality it's the little things done consistently over time that, that you know, create the... Uh, the success. So, um, you know, I think you make a good point. It, it may be not one thing you can identify and say, ah, that's exactly what made us who we are today. It's the little things that build over time. I think, uh, yeah, I've always been a fan of it's the, you know, the 10 million tiny decisions and actions you know, that are all kind of directionally correct to get you there. It's, you know, yeah, people ask, well, how did you grow? What was the big you know, moment? You know, everyone's looking for a silver bullet and there just isn't one. You know, we just kept taking care of our customers after a while we'd done it so long with so many people, they started telling everybody else how great we were at it. And all of a sudden they, you know, that led to us having a whole bunch more customers. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's just not an overnight uh, strategy. So true. So true. 
So what's the future of FreshBooks? Uh, what, uh, you know, you're, uh, we started out the program by saying you have like 500 employees and 24 million users. Do you just keep growing and do that? Or is there something um, big in the future you're shooting for? What, what's, the fre- what's the future of FreshBooks look like? Well, I think the, the future is we're, we're just very early days in serving owners around the world and bringing them what we call the four E's, uh, executing extraordinary experiences every day. And so I think it's just really living our mission and bringing it to more people so we can help help more owners. You know, the, the fact is accounting software is largely built for accountants and not owners. Um, the big innovation, the thing we did differently was to build it for owners so it's super easy to use. It's in language you understand. You know, it's, it's efficient, not cumbersome, so it doesn't feel clunky and you're wasting your time. Instead, you can... You can feel in control of your finances on top of them and get stuff done. And um, I just, you know, I think there's there's too many owners out there who, you know, don't want to touch their accounting software with a 10-foot pole uh, and therefore are removed from it and um, counting on somebody else and maybe not feeling like they understand it as well as they could. And so, um, anyways, we just, we just hope to help people overcome that way of experiencing software so they can be more successful doing whatever it is that got them in the business in the first place because it surely was not doing their their billing and accounting. Mike, usually at this time in the interview, I always ask a common question, and that common question is, uh, in relation to leadership, what is a pearl of wisdom you could leave our listeners with today? Yeah, so in terms of leadership... I, um, if you got to pick one, so I, I will go with, I'm just a, a fan of the fundamentals. I think if you can be solid with your fundamentals, you can build a lot of stuff on top of that. And even if you're not the best communicator or whatever it is to begin with, people will, will sort of learn. Um, actually, you know what? Maybe I'll go a different path for today. Uh, so anyways, the, the two things I would say there are shared values and alignment. You got those two things. You'll you go, you can go everywhere. Um, but um, you know what? A wise man once said to me something else, which is a different kind of thing in leadership, which is there's a hierarchy of communication. Uh, the lowest form of communication is speech. Next is written. And third is pictures. And I think um, I think it's always helpful to have that because uh, there are times when I feel like, man, I've told everybody this stuff like, you know, 10 times or whatever. And the thing is you got to tell people a thousand times. But, but to the extent you can use use pictures, people can get there uh, kind of faster. Uh, and so um, that's a funny uh, way to kind of end it. But if we, we wrap the first thing together, which is, hey, if you have people of shared values and they're aligned, um, you know, you can, you can kind of – you can do anything. You can really go on a mission. This is, hey, we have some shared belief sets, common behaviors. doesn't mean our politics is the same. doesn't mean we look the same. doesn't mean our histories are the same. But we have this – this, this shared set of values, we're aligned with where we're going. Um, I think that communication aspect can help you with that alignment. So, so, um, so maybe I'm, I'm kludging together two things or maybe three there, but uh, those are the, be the parting thoughts I'll, I'll leave you with this afternoon. Oh, well stated. Uh, so if people want to find out more about FreshBooks and uh, want to find out more about the company and even the product itself, uh, how, can they, uh, how can they find that? I think the simplest way to do it is um, just go to freshbooks.com, okay. and there you will uh, you will find um, <clears throat> uh, 
you can sign up for a free trial. You can visit the website, learn more about the product. You can, you know, if you're that interested, find more about me and the history of the company, all that good stuff. But yeah, go go ahead. Freshbooks are common. If, if Freshbooks sounds interesting to you, you can by all means go ahead and try it for free there. Okay. Well, thanks, Mike. I really appreciate you being on the program today. It sounds like you got uh, through. Uh, although I keep talking like the pandemic's over, we know it's not. We're still ongoing, but it sounds like you've uh, fared uh, pretty well with the company, and it's con- continuing to grow. And uh, thanks for sharing your ideas and thoughts with us today. I really appreciate it, and uh, good luck to you in the future with uh, Fresh Books and the and the continued success of the company. Thanks, Stephen. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of Profiles and Leadership. To listen to all my interviews, subscribe to Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and many other popular podcast platforms. Some of these interviews are on video, and you can search YouTube for Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson. You can also access the entire library of interviews on my website, orange.coaching.com, and that is orangetheword.coaching.com, and go to the Media Center and click on Podcasts or Video Gallery. You can also enter the website from pilpodcast.com. Mm-hmm.